Hi there everybody and welcome to another episode of the DCVC podcast. I'm your host Akash Bhatt and I bring you leading investors and operators investing and building companies all around the world. It's not often that you get a chance to sit across somebody whose product that you've enjoyed using over the years and tell it to them. Well, today happens to be one of those episodes and I've had a chance to sit down with Shubham Goel, who is the co-founder and chief executive officer of Affinity. a relationship intelligence platform built to expand and evolve traditional crm the company has raised over 120 million dollars over multiple rounds of funding from marquee investors such as advance venture partners pair vc and mass mutual ventures shubham has had a very interesting journey to becoming an entrepreneur he decided not to pursue a job and instead go out and build his dream right after undergrad This makes a fantastic episode for anybody trying to understand how to build SaaS companies just out of undergrad or with zero or no experience of having previously been in the industry. All the learnings that he shared with us make for some fantastic nuggets especially for entrepreneurs like myself. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Shubham. Shubham, welcome to the DCVC podcast. An absolute honor and thrill to host you here on the show. Looking forward to spending the next forty-five minutes with you, talking about this wonderful journey that you've been on building Affinity. Thanks, Akash. Really excited to be here, and uh, yeah, excited to chat. Well, I typically kickstart most of my conversations asking founders as to what kind of got them on their journey because. entrepreneurship is crazy it's not one of those things that is cut out for everybody and two you really need to be cut from a different kind of cloth to even embark on that journey and quite famously steve jobs said you need to be supremely crazy to even think about going and starting something because it's the most most annoying and most frustrating thing um to do so in your case what was that that kind of led you down this path and why did you choose entrepreneurship as opposed to you're going and getting a job at a pretty good company because you just graduated from Stanford so most people would have been most happy to have you at their at their companies well it's a great question akash and you're absolutely right uh, you know i think starting a company is certainly the hardest thing i've done i've ever done in my life and i think it's true for most other founders who i've seen uh, start scale or fail in 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 their in their journeys um i think for me you know just to give some context so this is this is my first full time job um you know i started this company right out of college um when i went to stanford and i actually think you know to some degree the naivety that you have as a as a uh, as as a 20 year old really helped me here because i did not <laughs> have the 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 decision the, you know i did not ha- think about the decision with the gravity that you just described it with which is actually how one should probably think about it but i you know i didn't i didn't have that so much context on how hard it would be and so you know at the time um you know we came across this problem which i can talk a little bit more about and it seemed like a really exciting problem that uh, could be solved in a 10x better way with better technology and better data and uh, my co-founder and i who was actually my college who's my uh, uh roommate at the time decided that uh, hey you know what uh, this seems like an interesting problem that is worth solving that could be a really big 
uh, problem for the world uh, over time. Uh, and uh, let's go, let's go do it. You know, let's, what's the downside? What's the risk really? And, you know, the, the reality is, as a 20 year old, the, the risk uh, that you take doing these things is actually pretty low because, uh, you know, in a year, year and a half, if things hadn't worked out, uh, you know, uh, our view was we could go get a job at one of these awesome tech companies out there uh, and still not have missed that much time in our careers, you know. Um, so I think to some degree, it was the naivety, it was the excitement about the ideas, it was feeling like the downside was pretty low, we had no responsibilities at the time. So a bunch of factors contributed to to us saying, you know what, let's, uh, let's uh, make the choice and walk down this path. So you mentioned that there was very little risk for you to be taken right out of undergrad to go and start a company. But then things kind of start falling into place. You raise your first round of funding. Um, you suddenly have a little bit of responsibility to build a product, not just for your customers, but also to create some value for your shareholders. And those things start to fall into place. Then comes the subsequent round of funding, customers growing. You have a team at this point of time that you probably also want to look after who've taken a bet on this company working out and the opportunity that you presented them in turn as well. So while the risk at the beginning may not have seemed high, as they start to roll by, that risk seemed to get somewhat, you know, you keep adding to it on a day-to-day basis. So as that, as, as your customers grew, as the investors grew, as you grew as a team, how did you start thinking about risk from that point of view? Like, did that excite you guys? Did that kind of make you feel a little nervous? Was it that combination of both that kind of like propelled? We would love to understand how you guys thought about in the early days. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, the question of risk is very interesting because um, for us, our journey was was very, very, very difficult, as I think is, is for most uh, entrepreneurs in the early days. You know, we just to give you some context, we did not have any paying customers or uh, any revenue for the first two and a half years of the company's existence, which is a very long time, you know, to not to not be making any money, right? And and to even feel like whether this idea uh, or this thing that you're working on is going to go anywhere. So so I feel like um, you know it was a very very tough time, uh, but I think the the part about entrepreneurship, and I think you know I've really come to appreciate this over time is the the thing the skill that matters the most in especially in the early days or the quality i should say is is i think being gritty and sort of never giving up um and in each of those sort of two and a half years you know we had we really ran the team in three month increments where we said okay every three months you know do we have a clear line of sight of solving the problems that are in our way today um, to get to the next level, to unlock a bunch of new uh, problems, basically, um, right? And and I think, thankfully, uh, if you look at each of those three-month increments, you're making clear progress. And so, you know, to some degree, we felt like we could, it, it, you know, we were just right there on the surface and we could go crack this problem. So I think to some degree, the hope that, okay, by, you know, solving these problems, um, you know, in a sequential way, you can get to unlock product market fit. Uh, yeah. And uh, I think to some degree, continued naivety 
for sure there too. Like, you know, you have to be a little bit crazy to go uh, believe that you can do something that other people haven't done. Uh, so yeah. I feel like we had a little bit of that. Uh, now, of course, the journey after the two and a half years was pretty different because once we got some customers and found product market fit, you know, that's when a lot of the funding rounds came, bigger teams the, that we built came. And I think by then, you know, you you at least we started thinking less about risk and more about the excitement of how do we go, you know, scale this value that we have been able to deliver to the first 10, 20 customers to literally thousands as fast as possible, right? And I think that became the challenge. And uh, we really thrived on that challenge, I think, to some degree. So we actually stopped thinking about risk probably at that point uh, and really started figuring out how do we go scale this uh, to, to lots of customers. It's a very fascinating journey that most companies go through is during that zero to one phase because there's a lot of uncertainty. And at the same time, you're battling a lot of these voices that are within your head. You know, on a day-to-day -day basis, you're probably questioning whether what you're working on is is going to lead you down a path where you may see some subsequent results or you're kind of questioning yourself saying, is this something that am I really cut out to do? So between the journey where you kept asking yourself those questions to when you started seeing those early signs of success or what I like to call the aha moment. What did you go through? Like, what was that journey for? Like, what was like for you, especially when you had to make that switch? It made may, maybe a six month journey, maybe a year long journey, maybe two and a half years journey that you perhaps alluded to in the, in, in the past. So I'd love to understand how you, one goes through that self doubt that you've had to like product market fit. Yep. Uh, we, we had a pretty, uh, chaotic journey in this respect, I would say, Akash. I think, and you know, this is something I tell people who are starting companies to not do. <laughs> so I think I, I really learned from from my experiences here. Um, I would say, you know, the biggest thing that you're fighting in the early days is, to some degree, your own doubt your own doubts and your own lack of decision making and decisiveness uh because you know when you're when you're on day 1 or day 2 or day 10 whatever you know you have these great ideas about how you can change the world um you know there's a few different directions you can walk down um and i think most entrepreneurs uh, do not make the decision to choose which path they're going to walk down and which hypotheses they're going to validate that happened to us you know we we started the company we had a couple of directions that we could have gone with the product and and market segment um and we we decided that we didn't have enough data to make the decision on which path was right so we said you know what why don't we just keep exploring both of these paths and start keep collecting data somewhat from both these paths and 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 you know hopefully at some someday, some moment, we will have enough data to decide which one's the right path. Um, so I think that was the first mistake that we made. And that caused a lot of constant confusion amongst ourselves as founders, but also in the early team, uh, because it was always uncertain, what's the future of the company? Which direction are we going to go in? Uh, and so I think one actually takeaway that you know I really strongly believe in now is as an early stage team, the only asset that you really have is time and speed, you know, and, and so what you have to do is really narrow the plane and make 
decisions that might feel really uncomfortable around direction, um, but make them, make them early and, and, and commit to a certain time window in which you're going to validate that decision. So, you know, I don't know if there's two different product directions, totally different products that you could go down and you don't know which one, just pick one, you know, and, and say, you know what, for the next six months or three months, we're going to figure out whether this is truly the problem or this is truly the product to be built. And we're going to put all our eggs in this basket. And at the end of that three month or six month process, if it turns out that there was, this was the wrong bet, we can come back to the second one and go explore that with the same intensity and might. But uh, doing them both at the same time is kind of a recipe for disaster. And we we ultimately realized that at which point we picked one of those paths and said, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to validate. Um, so that was sort of the first thing that I would say, you know, was a big, um, uh, you know, marker in my journey is constantly trying to have, have this decision fatigue of like, which is the right path? How do I choose, et cetera? And the answer is just pick. Um, the, well, the sec- if, if, yeah. if you mind me interrupting here before you head into your second point, is that mm-hmm. a decision that you end up making from a leadership standpoint or is that more of a collective decision that you get together as a team, debate extensively about before you end up choosing that path? How did you guys go about it and you explored yeah. multiple ways of going about that decision? So from my experience with our, our team, as well as the, um, you know, the other founders that I've seen go through this journey, I think almost always the team is looking at you to make the decision. Um, you know, the team might be able to offer valuable advice, input into why one direction is better than the other. But I think ultimately either you as the CEO or you and your co-founder, co-founders, need to come together and say, this is the path we're walking down. Um, the other path has merits as well, but we're not entertaining that for now. And we will revisit it if, if this turns out to be the wrong wrong choice. Um, so I think to some degree, it has to be, you know, come from the founders. Um, uh, but of course, you know, you give a chance for your team to put forward their viewpoints as to why it should be one or the other. Makes sense. No, yeah. Uh, and you were talking about the second point. Uh yeah, the second point that I that I had was um you know, I think it was more about it, it's in a similar theme but I think it was more about figuring out how to validate, you know, the way you want to do something, right? I mean, again, for me it was my first job out of college and so a lot of it was like is this the right way to do this? I don't really know, you know, and I'm not really sure. And I think one of those one of the things that i again learned how to do later that was very very valuable that i wish i would have done earlier was surrounding myself with you know a founder or two who has just seen the stage that i've that i'm going through um 12 or 18 months ago and has sort of crossed into the next stage because you know simple things right like um hey you know i'm trying to figure out how to do user interviews or i'm trying to figure out how to do customer success with my first beta customer um well uh if i talk to this founder who just has done all of this stuff and figured out how to solve these problems you know literally 12 or 18 months ago then you know i can shortcut my way to a lot of learnings that they have had that and, and avoid mistakes basically right 
And this was a really, really powerful weapon, you know, of short, short circuiting some of these things that I discovered later on uh, after we had probably 50, 100 customers. But I think if I did it earlier, I would have made fewer mistakes, shortened that period from day one to that two and a half year range and, you know, gotten it hopefully down to under a year. Um, so I think those are some things that, you know, again, learned through a lot of iteration, trial and error that would have been valuable. But, you know, it's it's a I, I reflect back on it. And I also at the same time, while it was very hard, say that it was probably the most fun that you know, I had building affinity, you know, it's such an interesting creative period where you're trying to figure out whether, you know, your hypotheses are, are, are right or wrong. And I think that was valuable in itself to some degree. So, uh, yeah. yeah. And what was that aha moment for you guys where you, for the first time felt, you know what, we're onto something big here. Yeah. 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 So I would say there were two things. Um, the, so we, you know, just to set some context here, we we had about 10 beta customers. No one was paying us anything. And what we were doing was just working with them to get the product really ingrained in how people um, sort of, you know, use how these 10 customers were using it, right? Um, so one day, uh, you know, one of these customers calls us and says, hey, um, you know, I really want to have the pricing conversation with you guys. And I'm like, well, it's free. Like, you know, we're not charging you anything. And they're like, yeah, but at some point you will. And, you know, please tell us what it's going to be now because this thing is becoming really ingrained in my workflows. And, uh, you know, if it's going to be like a million dollars or something, I need to know now because, you know, I need to figure out what else I'm going to do because I can't afford, afford you know, uh, software that's a million dollars. So that was one really positive thing where we were like, wow, okay, like this thing is really adding value to the customer. And they, in fact, are bringing up the pricing conversation before us even asking. Um, the second thing that happened that was, I think, really powerful that sort of told us that we were onto something was unprompted a couple of beta customers introduced us to their friends who they had been talking to about our product at some dinner or coffee or something you know some event that they had met their friend and said hey like this is a product i've been using you might like it too and they had just introduced us over email for a demo or something and and that was another very very powerful moment because you know it clearly told us that hey people are referring us to other people without us even prompting them uh, which hopefully means that they're getting getting value from the product and and so i think both of those were very very important moments of course we figured out how to charge customers after that and and started monetizing and and so on and so forth um uh and and of course you know the aha moment in the product was also really important for us to figure out you know through this process and for us it was the fact that you know within a few minutes of you logging in we need to be able to show you value um if we can't do that then uh, then it's no good so i think in terms of creating the aha moment for the customer uh you know we held ourselves to a very 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 high standard uh you know probably too high but i think it was the right thing to do because that is sort of the core value proposition today is you know set up time everything is super fast you can get up and going in minutes um so yeah no that's 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 a great point that you bring up because um you know that early journey of just 
finding that aha moment for a lot of founders is is also one of those things that you want to make sure that you're not jumping to a conclusion like you know the very first hint of something where there's a sign of something working out like can be misleading to the actual aha moment that comes in does something for your business right and i've seen a bunch of entrepreneurs who've used false metrics as their aha moment and then try to double down and be a little bit more premature mm-hmm. which eventually in the long terms can like hurt them because they haven't yeah. taken an objective lens they're just waiting to find that aha moment as opposed to that aha moment happening to them there's mm-hmm. a little bit of a nuance difference in both which is very similar to what i would say uh, in the world of vc is to the first investment that an analyst or an associate or a principal or somebody makes because you're so eager to find that opportunity that you kind of like forget does that really fit into the larger context of things and what does it mean in the larger context of things and you're trying to make or you're trying to take a sign and then really put something behind it and say this is my aha moment let's double down so it's very important to be smart about also visualizing what is your aha moment and i guess in retrospect it's easier to do it but when it's happening to you in real time it's a harder thing to really gauge whether it is or if just hey let's wait to see if there are two or three more data points that actually show us that it's a, it's an aha moment so yep. i guess it's it's one of those things where you probably have the luxury of hindsight to to really determine if that is the one that is actually working for you I think that's right. I I I feel like in the moment it's very hard to tell, you know, uh what is reality. That said, you know, I think aha moments are usually or should be at least in my opinion simply, you know, measurements or reflections of customer love, you know. Um mm-hmm. if it's anything but that it doesn't matter. It's like the reality, yes. you know, the 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 you know, selling software uh is is a fairly um um uh what is the word i was going to say meritocratic um activity you know <laughs> like the best companies yeah. win and the market will tell you whether your product solves a problem or not um yeah. but i th- truly for us and i think to some degree you can build a process to get to that moment uh as fast as humanly possible but mm-hmm. uh i think that's where it kind of struck us which is hey like these people are using this product for many hours a day and yeah. uh, they do it every single day of the week i mean literally at some point our uh, you know dao uh, dao mao which is sort of just a measure of daily actives or monthly actives was uh, close to like 45% which is very very which is basically like 5 over 7 right like like i mean it's a business product yeah. so you use it for 5 days um so i think you need to be able to create extreme levels of success for the user and for them to say it's amazing then you can figure out what actually happened to create that success you can dig in with the user and be like oh like how did you get you know so into the app and what was going on etc you can deconstruct it but i mm-hmm. i do think that it needs to be around the customer if it's around the team or funding or something else it, it's just like irrelevant basically I completely agree with you. I think customer, there's nothing, nothing compares to customer love or customer feedback, um, and everything else is a vanity metric. Like it's good to have your name being cited in a magazine or a newspaper or a media outlet, or you have funding that's coming in. It means nothing if the customers are not buying your product, using your product, loving your product. It really comes down essentially to that. That's what they, a lot of people talk in the T to C space as well. You can have the best marketer in the world. 
But if you're not, if the customer is not really using or buying your product, what is the use of it, right? So I think exactly. you bring up a really good point. And now, as your companies evolve, we're going through that journey as well. You'll perhaps finish that zero to one path, and you're on that one to ten journey at this point of time. You know, as the life of an entrepreneur evolves, so does his or her responsibility from becoming a doer to becoming an enabler. And during that journey, a lot of founders really feel the need to be a little bit more hands-on, micromanaging. They find it very difficult to let go of their own uh, control and bestow it on people who perhaps are domain experts or come in with specific knowledge of taking the company from the one to 10 uh, in terms of where it needs to go, right? And you still feel like doing that. Now, as you guys went through that journey, how did you find yourself letting go of your own inhibitions, your own control on certain aspects that you had control of over the course of the zero to one journey? What did you go through internally? And how did yep. you kind of like overcome? Was it, or was it more natural for you where you're like, you know what, we've come here. I'm going to go ahead the best people. They're going to do the best stuff. I'm just going to give them and build an environment where they can be successful. Where, which side did you fall? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, it was the first and then the second <laughs> as as with, <laughs> as, with, as with any entrepreneur who's building the company. So I think, look, I think that, you know, I, I feel like building startups and the expectation of a founder is actually pretty insane if you think about it. You know, what you're, what the world is basically telling the founder is, hey, you know, the thing that you just got good at over the last two years that you worked so hard, like hundreds of hours a week or whatever to get good at. Yeah, stop doing that now and do this other thing. You know, that's essentially what the world is in some ways is, is telling you to go scale your company, right? And so it's a very hard thing for founders to do because, you know, again, you want to, you know, you just got good at something, you should keep doing it. And right? if you think about sports, if you were playing, you know, squash or something and you're like the uh, national champion now and suddenly you're like, yeah, okay, don't go, don't go play internationally. Instead, go play, you know, uh, like, why don't you shoot instead or something? It, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make logical sense, right? So I think a lot of founders do struggle with it. We were no exception. We struggled with the same thing. Uh, where, you know, I'd really gotten good at selling customers, supporting them personally, uh, figuring out how to do a little bit of marketing. Um, and now it was time to scale, right? And so I think a couple of things happened during this journey that sort of helped me uh, understand why the way I was spending time was not the optimal use of my time. The first was, you know, thankfully I'd built strong enough relationships with some of the people that I had hired that, you know, um, uh, they told me personally that, hey, like, I think you're micromanaging too much, you know, like I've got my goals, uh, you know, I'm going to go figure out how to execute on this. I think you need to trust me a little bit more. I think you need to, you know, uh, give me more sort of uh, ownership of my domain. So I heard this feedback from a couple of people. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, uh, I was talking to, uh, you know, one of my investors, early investors about it, that, hey, I'm getting this feedback, it seems kind of weird, you know, uh, I'm just trying to be maniacal about making sure that I execute to the T. And uh, this is when they did the best thing that they could have done. Um, and they introduced me to uh, an executive coach that I've been now working with for almost six, six and a half years now. And uh, he really helped me. I think that was the transformative moment for me where uh, basically I think the, the thing that you need to do as a founder of a company 
especially after product market fit, is every six months, you need to write down what your job is. Um, I think if you ask most founders or CEOs on the spot in the scaling phase, what is your job? I actually don't think like more than 50% of them will give you a good answer. Um, people don't know what their job is. You know, I think that's the first thing is like knowing what your job actually is. And then like really clearly setting goals around how to go get good at that particular job. And so I think in that phase, I realized, okay, my job is to actually hire these key leaders, to enable them, to make them successful, to build this environment and culture, et cetera. And so I focused all of my time on figuring out how do I actually get good at this now? And guess what? You know, six months later, even that is becomes parts of it start becoming irrelevant and other parts start becoming relevant. So I think it's just a constant evolution process that you have to go through as a founder to keep asking yourself that question every so often in this phase and 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 then optimize around it. One of the things I really liked about your answer there was just the awareness that you've had either practically because somebody actually called you out on on something that you were subconsciously or you know just doing because that's just who you are. That's just what most founders uh, would like to do is just be hands-on, make sure that you're shipping the best version of your product and everything is, in your words, correct to the T. To the fact that where you were able to like evolve your own leadership style in some sense. And this is a beautiful quote again, um, you know, uh, by the CEO of Atlassian, where he talks about leadership is about making people feel uncomfortable at a rate that they can absorb. And this evolve, involves stretching people to do things that they couldn't do otherwise. Uh, and my job as a leader is to provide and push everyone to 20% more than what they think they can achieve. And yeah. I thought when I read that for the first time, um, it made me think. Like it made me think about how leaders not only get uncomfortable in positions that they are put in because of a lot of variables around them, but also the way that they want to make their employees feel uncomfortable in a good way is just not get people to be complacent is, is get them to think about, Hey, if you're one of your colleagues is asking you for more accountability and more autonomy, how do you provide that in such a way that it's just not accountability, but also you're bestowing um, an opportunity for them to go above and beyond what they think they can actually do. So there's a fine balance between providing that and then also getting 120% from somebody. Did you ever have to like go through that kind of like journey yourself where you kind of like debated internally with, you, with yourself that sure, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do what you want to do, but then I hope you're not just going to get me what I want you to do, but you can go above and beyond. How do you create that as your company scales across to get that extra percent, even if it's an extra percent, not even 20%, extra percent from your, yeah, your team. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%, 100%. I think you have to go through it as a uh, as a leader, leading people. I think, you know, one of the things that you have to really sort of reframe your mind around is in the early days, you build the products, you know, that that, and then you build the sales motions that sell the products, right? And I think as you start scaling, you know, you have to sort of reframe the problem that the my product that I'm building now is the team. So you're basically building the team that builds the products and then sells the products, right? And I think that reframing is very important because the same degree with which you scrutinize your product and, you know, your sales experience and your customer success 
motion that you're personally doing in the early days, that is the same level of scrutiny. You need to be scrutinizing, you know, is my team good? Have I had the right people? Do I have the right processes that, you know, help me move as fast as humanly possible? Uh, do I have the right culture that help me sort of, you know, promote high performance in the organization, et cetera. So you have to you have to maintain the same iterative maniacalness that you might have had building your sort of products and selling them and supporting them with now this sort of more amorphous thing. But actually, I think you can actually make it fairly tangible. So I think that's the first thing is it's just a very different job, but I think you have to reframe that. Now, to answer your question, absolutely, you know, on the... Um, I, I think you you again go through various degrees of learning when you learn how to be a manager, a leader, a coach for your team. The way I've sort of found the right balance on this is, you know, generally the founder uh, and executive relationship, you know, and I'm making a general statement here. It's not always the case. Is a very unique one. Uh, it is unlike any other uh, report, uh, you know, direct report manager relationship. Why? It's because, you know, almost always when you hire somebody as a founder, an executive especially, the chances of them being more experienced at the thing that you're hiring them to do are basically like it's almost guaranteed. Otherwise, why would you hire them? Right. Like if I yeah. if I'm scaling and I'm hiring a head of sales, well, I'm hiring them because they're better at sales than I am. They know things that I don't and they're going to help me get to the next level. Right. This is generally not true for like, you know, somebody who is in a manager position hiring, you know, uh, a new person onto their team. Generally, the manager tends to have more experience, more learnings about the world, et cetera. And founders in general tend to be on the younger side, right? Like 20 to 40, let's say, call it. Um, and so most founders at least. And so, you know, it's a very unique relationship. So the way you manage through that and continue to push people is by aligning on the objectives, the facts, right? So I've hired you to help me get to a certain goal. The goal is yeah. facts. We cannot, you know, we, there should be no subjectivity in it. You know, whether it's a revenue number, whether it's converting a certain amount, amount of leads, whether it's generating a certain amount of pipeline, whether it's shipping, you know, X number of things, whatever it is, right? Those are facts. So I think what you do is you try to align around the facts and you try to instill urgency into the facts. Hey, like, why is the revenue number this much? This doesn't seem high enough. Let's push on this. Let's like, why can't you improve the conversion by another 5%? Whatever, right? Like you, you try to push on this and you try to see what the answers the leaders that are giving you, you know, if the answers are, you know, things that you can, your logical mind can understand, then I think they're reasonable answers. So if the answers are something like, Trust me, that's just what my experience says. They're mm -hmm. wrong answers. So I think that's how you generate urgency in aligning around the facts. Then once you have aligned around the goals, which are objective, you give these leaders extreme autonomy to go figure yeah. out how they can instrument their teams and operationalize their teams to go hit their goals. And I think that get, gets the best of both worlds where the leaders are not feeling like you're getting in their way to, um, you know, in every process and every, you know, thing. Um, but at the same time, you've set aggressive goals that, you know, if you achieved as a company would mean that the company was successful. So that's, I think, how I've tried to strike the balance between, you know, pushing, but also, you know, uh, having, giving people the autonomy. I love that answer simply because there's a lot of alignment that comes in both from a cultural context as well as an incentive and performance context. 
like people know upfront that what they're signing up for and when they sign up for something they kind of like a a clear pathway knowing that um this is not just a starting point for them but there is it's a blank canvas like they can make it what they want it to be as opposed to just having a a a a a roadmap that somebody draws out for them and That's i think right. most people and at least i i i consider myself a business generalist and i would love having an empty canvas board as opposed to somebody just telling me score and do that i don't it, i think it comes down to a personality fit as well at some point of time each role requires you to be different and i've always thought of myself as the, as 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 a person who thrives in that zero to one phase where i feel i have the luxury and ability to go and touch on multiple projects and then as you know things progress i need to take a step back and i need to get better people to be part of these and i'm better off just supervising or just being on the other side and that's something that i've struggled with myself for the longest period of time and i kind of like know where i'm i do well when i don't and um you know speaking of which i would love to also understand from your point of view you shared a lot of things that you've kind of like learned over the course of this journey but if there are one or two things that you think that has also surprised you about yourself during this company building journey what would that be uh <laughs> i think the biggest surprise that i've had is probably you know that and and i think this happens in the course of many companies you you go through periods of time where you feel like this is it you know the company is mm-hmm. done everything's you know all these years was uh for no return and you know this is this is uh this is the worst day and we all need to go home tomorrow like that's you know there are many moments in the company's um lifetime that feel like that and i think my learning you know and surprising learning actually is one humans are extremely agile i mean it's actually probably one of the reasons we have survived so long as as these the de facto species on this planet and now sort of ruling every other species is how agile in our ability to and adaptable we are to things you know whether it be you know i mean we as a company have navigated a lot of things right we had to go through covid lots of things we felt like the world was going to end you know the this year has been basically a software recession there were times early on in the company where we had no customers uh, we you know were weeks away from you know having moments of panic where we thought you know we wouldn't get the funding round we we ultimately did so many many moments like that right and i and i think the the thing that the first thing i learned is like just be calm because it's going to be fine you know um uh, humans are uh, very adaptable and any situation might look like it's really really bad on the surface but ultimately in the grand scheme of things in the lifetime of a company they're not so bad you know and uh, guess what there'll probably be like a way worse moment that will make you rethink how easy the first one was so i think that was maybe a surprise and so i think now when we have tough situations um it's honestly helpful to have that perspective because i just don't get worked up about things you know um because i know that it'll pass it's going to be fine and it's just one of the many you know oh my god what's happening people are freaking out moments um so that's probably my biggest learning that you know I haven't shared and so I, that's kind of my maybe it's hard to do it's hard to build that muscle like until you've seen a few examples of this but yeah 
you know, my sort of advice to any entrepreneur would just be to, you know, if you're having that kind of moment, just take a deep breath and figure out what you can do about that situation, what you can control and go make it happen. And I trust you that, you know, trust me that that situation will be less, it'll be much better than whatever you imagine it to be in that moment. Yeah, they always say that you you play out a situation in your head and it's 100 times worse as yeah. opposed to what it actually and truly is. And the best time to actually work on a crisis is an hour after the crisis has happened. Because mm-hmm. it just gives you a I little like bit of time to have some perspective into evaluating something as opposed to trying to be more impulsive. And that impulse actually creates a lot more chaos and adds more chaos to the existing crisis that both internally as well as sometimes externally. And I guess the best founders are the ones who are able to take a step back, evaluate, and don't get too emotional or carried away or impulsive about a decision, and then make those um, those calls. And it's not those, it's, it's not something that happens or comes naturally to everybody. It's just one of those things that you have to learn with time. And um, I guess in your case as well, it's, it seems like it's been a learning process as opposed to something that just came naturally. And 99% of the people, it's just something that you develop over time. Totally agree. I think it's true for basically all of the skills that you develop while building yeah. a company. Uh, I I think, on, I mean, honest to God, I've not met any founders who, you know, are like, yeah, like I know how to do this like day one or uh, this part of the journey. I like just naturally just fit in and it worked. I don't know anybody like that. And so I think a lot of these are learned lessons, experienced lessons that you go through. I think that the the thing that you can do as a founder to um, get get to them faster is again, just surrounding yourself with that sort of mentorship, good mentors Mm -hmm. uh, who are just a step or two ahead of you, you know, that way you can get to the same lessons, but way faster. You know, I think where people make mistakes is not to not get to the lessons, but they just take a long time, you know, and, and, and that's what you don't have while building a company. If you take too long to realize that your job is now not getting into the weeds and like instead to build out the steam, you know, another competitor will come and, you know, probably like leave you in the dust and and get many yeah. more customers and the opportunity is gone. So I think to capture lightning in the bottle, as they say, like you have to just reduce the time to learning as much as possible. Um, you reminded me of something that Ryan Breslow, who, I mean, I'm not oh, a yeah. huge fan of Ryan Breslow, but I remember one of his quotes that uh, on his Instagram where he talked about be patient, but act fast, <laughs> uh, which I think is a true embodiment of what a founder should be. Yes. Um, and it's one of his quotes that I agree with. <laughs> there are a lot of his quotes that I don't, but one of those things that just stands out and you kind of like, in some sense, second to that as well, is just saying that act quickly, be patient. It takes a long time. It's not an easy journey. Building companies is not an overnight thing. It sometimes takes a really, really long time. And oftentimes we only get to celebrate the end journey. We don't really like take into consideration the, the journey in and of itself and what it's really put us through. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, before I let you go, um, the, 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 the disclaimer to the following question is, I get it that the journey would not have panned out the way that it probably has and the learnings that it's offered. But if you were to do anything different, 
having all the information knowledge that you have today, would there be anything that you would do differently when you are starting Affinity out? Oh, this is this is like a one-hour conversation in itself. We'll do we'll do a part two at some point of time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I think look, I I feel like again the the biggest thing that I would say I would do differently if I knew what I knew now day one was probably two things. I would do right of the bat. Number one is I would decide on a very clear hypothesis as focused as it can be. And I would get everybody in the company rallied around that. Uh, everybody could just be you and your co-founder. It could be, you know, three people who work with you, whatever. But I would make that decision as fast as humanly possible and be okay if it ends up being wrong in three months or four months or six months or whatever it is. Um, that's the first thing I would do differently. The second thing I would do differently is get those couple of mentors that I was referring to, you know, who are a stage or two ahead of you as fast as mm -hmm. possible and spend some time with them. I think that people try to get mentors that are kind of all over the board and it doesn't work. It just doesn't work because, you know, the only people who can really understand the situation that you're in are the people who were in your situation not too long ago. Even I yeah. today, like you know, uh, people come to me who are like building stage, you know, seed stage companies, and I'm like, here's kind of what I think, but it's also been like you know six, seven years since I was there, so maybe talk to like the person you know who's two stages, you know, sort of yeah uh, behind, behind. Was it like a year or two ago? Yeah. yeah, that really matters. The the recency buy thing is very important there, I think. Because company building is also evolving, right? Like the way we build things in 2015 is not the same way things are being built in 2022 or three. So, um, so those are some things I would do differently, you know, and I think hopefully that will uh, make you, help you make fewer mistakes or it certainly would have helped me if you make fewer mistakes, uh, yeah. you know, and and yeah, that <laughs> that's my answer. Well, Shivam, thanks for being on the podcast and thanks for building a product that I've truly enjoyed using on a daily basis. Um, it was not something that I picked, but something I got introduced to when I was at a VC fund and then I fell in love with it. And there was no going back in terms of using a different product. So uh, not trying to pander to you or trying to uh, say good things towards the end. It's truly something that I appreciate and I've really enjoyed uh, what you guys have built and what you guys are doing. And, and for that reason, this was a very fun conversation for me to have a conversation with a founder whose product that I've really enjoyed using on a day-to-day -day basis. You don't really come across a lot of those opportunities in life. You're able to like speak to the person who's building it. So one, thank you for doing what you're doing. And secondly, for being on the podcast and sharing all of your wonderful insights. I have truly valued getting to know you over the course of the last month and a half or so, and hopefully you can build a friendship here over, over time. Awesome. No, thanks Akash for being, you know, a user, customer and, uh, enjoying the product experience. I think that's the best thing that you can hear as a founder is somebody liking, loving what uh, what the product does. So thank you and thank you for having me here.